inspired leadership means that we all access our full potential. Welcome to Inspiring Leaders, the podcast that shares ideas, perspectives, and best practices from great leaders around the world to help you become a more inspired leader. Hello and welcome back to the Inspiring Leaders podcast. I'm Terry Lepofsky and thank you for joining us today. This week we're talking about leading with the law. And joining us today, an amazing guy and a fearsome litigator, Major Kashmil McKenna. Major McKenna, welcome to Inspiring Leaders. Thank you so much, Terry, for having me on. And absolutely delighted to be here. I hope I get to share some of this experience and hopefully I can contribute something. You're always looking to contribute something. Let's start off with my usual first question, and you know what that is. What leader has inspired you and why? I've always hesitated to name one particular leader, and then I'll tell you why. First of all, I think that there's a lot of leaders out there, depending on what type of situation that I'm in, that inspires me. So if it's being a father and being a parent, different type of person will inspire me. If it's a political situation, other leaders inspire me. But above all, one of the ones that I can readily go to is Nelson Mandela. Oh, yeah, of course, yes. He was quite a terrific leader. But for me, his leadership clearly fascinates me is his humanity, the ability to demonstrate the genuineness of who we can become. It's amazing he spent all those years on that island. What would you do if you were in this man's position? And as a lawyer, and having practiced for the last 18 years, I've had occasions to deal with matters where people have been wrongly detained and punished and held in detention prison. Wow, yeah. When they come out, I'm always fascinated. Sometimes they come out bitter. Nelson Mandela was the only person that I read about, I watched, and I asked myself, why isn't this guy bitter? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, why? Over time, you begin to understand. And some of the reasons why, based on the biography that I've read, it's very practical. For him, being bitter wouldn't change anything. Letting go allows him to live out the rest of his life as uniquely as he did. Right. And that's something quite courageous, in my view, and truly appreciate the man. A noble trait, for sure. I got to laugh a little bit, Cash. Uh, we've known each other for a bit yes. now. And when I first met you... You were working for National Defense. You were Captain Cashmill McKenna, but I'd always call you Captain Cash. That is absolutely right. One day you showed up and you said, Terry, I just earned another stripe. I'm now a major. Well, I couldn't believe my luck. <laughs> I couldn't have made up a better nickname if I tried. All of the sudden you became Major Cash. I love that. Really? Major Cash? Yeah. Are you a rapper? <laughs> <laughs> All joking aside, Cash, your career and your work are really serious stuff. A few years back, you worked in the field of intellectual property, and I know you were working back in Switzerland at the time, advising multinational corporations on the legalities of technology patents. I also believe that you did some public speaking around Europe as well with intellectual property rights. And later you worked for the Ministry of Finance yes. as their legal counsel just before joining National Defense. For nearly a decade, you worked as a JAG lawyer or a Judge Advocate General lawyer, mm -hmm. as well as a trainer for the law of armed conflict. Yes. These days, you've hung your own shingle out there, and 
you are an advocate for private citizens through criminal law, as well as the women and men of our defense services in your military law practice, McKenna Law. That's correct. Through all of this, you've worked on some serious files with critical outcomes for your clients, and yet anybody who ever meets you sees this lighthearted guy that anybody can hear (laughs) right here today. And yet you have a deep respect for other people. Your feet are very firmly planted on the ground. That's something I've always admired about you. And I've read some of the comments that your clients have posted on your website. And it seems to me that you take this profound legal wisdom and somehow mix it and combine it with a deep caring for your client's well-being. Thank you. And this is what I'd love to kind of focus in on today, if you don't mind, Cassius. Okay, absolutely. I'd love to hear Major Cash's perspective on leadership how, as a leader to your clients, you keep your balance as a legal practitioner to serve them best. Thank you so much for that generous intro. Well-deserved, my friend. I really appreciate that. I look back and I go, are they talking about me? But here's the reality. I can tell you for a fact that I didn't plan any of that history since law, when I graduated from law school up to the point where I am right now. I never planned any one of those. And that is the first point for me. Secondly, how do I lead my clients and how do I assist them in a leadership position to take control of their matters and also to create solutions? Hopefully solutions that resolve their issues. I've often said to people, I love my job, but I have a job that nobody really gets up in the morning and say, I am just going to go hang out with my lawyer. <laughs> well, except for me, right? <laughs> There you go. Except when somebody's making a big acquisition, buying a new company. When it comes to the advocacy and trying to fix issues and challenges, problems that arises as a result of our everyday activities, nobody just gets up and says, hey, there's a good day to call Cash Meal to hang out. So right from that get-go, when somebody walks into my office, the first step I need to take is to identify what the issue is. This is very important. People come to me and say, Cash, look at it. The plate is broken, right? Yeah. That's an example of an issue that they have. Something is broken. So they come to me, they drop the broken plates in front of me in terms of what the issues are. Yeah. I look at it and I go, okay, I understand the plate is broken. We don't spend any more time on the fact that the plate is broken. That issue is a fact. The next thing I do is we sit down and we talk to our prospective client. If I quickly identify what and how he got to the plate is broken. Then to our conversation, we try to get enough information to identify the things that still remains unbroken. This is very critical because most people spend way too much time on something that is broken versus what other unique resources they have to deal with the issue that they have. My job is to try and identify through conversation, through interviews, areas within this individual's life, my client perspective, uh, client's life, that would help fix whatever is broken. Once we finish that, we get through that phase, that process, that step one. We move to step two. Step two is even unique and integral and very important part of how we fashion a, a, a response or a solution that, that resolves the issue. And, and by that, what I mean is that if we don't do our job very well at step one, which is trying to figure out what else is left and what resources that exist that would help our client deal with the issue, 
Step two is hard to do. But step two, we go into a recovery mode. We are now going back and retracing our stuff and saying, okay, we've heard your issue. We understand plate is broken. We understand that there's a number of unique resources you have, capacities that you have. We have identified them. Now, we want you to know that this is what you got and how we can use that. In all of this, myself and my team are looking also at the legal response. The legal response, ultimately, for myself and my team, it's not the most difficult part. The challenging part is trying to identify and understand the capacity of my client to be able to assist in the creation and the solution that gives. So as we go through the second step, that's a lot of identification and connection made with what resources we have identified that we can use and how we are going to use that. That is all constructed within the cauldron that allows us to bake out, create and mold that solution that ultimately we're going to deploy. So we identify the issue, we identify the strength. Number two, we connect the resources, opportunities and capacities that exist for us to resolve the issue. What are the legal instruments and tools that is going to assist us to do that? The final step, which is step three, is when we give ownership of whatever solution we've devised as a result of step one, step two. What does this mean? I've always believed that the most effective way of resolving any issue between clients, between parties, between individuals is to understand what they need and then give them ownership of it. The ownership part, the last step we take before we begin to roll out our solution. That ownership stage is so critical. Most of the time, when you go to traditional law firms, they'll give you step one, step two, most of the time. Step three, usually the lawyer goes out and carries out the solution in hope that ultimately it's gonna be wrapped in a nice bowl and given to the client and the client walks away happy. The problem or the challenge I have with that type of delivery is that ultimately, if the client is not vested, taking ownership of whatever solution that we come up with, that solution ultimately is not going to work. Mm -hmm. And so we go through that step one, step two, step three. And in the process, you can see how ultimately we empower our client to understand and to absolutely commit to the solution that we have given them. And that, for me, ultimately, is how we put our clients first. Because at the end of the day, I've always told my client that whatever it is that you're asking me to do, your interest in it is higher than mine. My job is to help you get the solution. If the solution I'm giving to you or that we come up with doesn't work for you and you are unable to implement or hold on to your end of the bargain, you're not going to be happy. You're not going to be able to understand and accept the results ultimately. And that undermines your ability to move forward. I like the way you described it as really three different steps. And let me see if I understand this correctly, because I'm taking notes here like crazy cash. And by the way, nobody can read my notes but me. As I understand it, so the first one is really kind of fact-finding and discovery. You're trying to understand the issue, how you got there, and what resources or tools still remain. And I think that that's critical because so many people get 
overwhelmed with the obstacles around them, they stop looking around to see what resources they still have or what opportunities still exist. So that's brilliant. This is exactly my point. And the reason we do this is that over time, we have people come to our office. We have people come to me and say, look, I've got this problem. And they go, okay, all right. So how do we solve it? And they go, well, let's talk about the problem. Spend a couple of weeks talking. Exactly. And, and there's nothing wrong about talking about a problem. But if you come to me and say, I have just been fired by my employer. Yeah. I go, yeah, okay. That's a fact. <laughs> that is actually a fact. Otherwise, you're not sitting in my office, right? Right. What are you looking to get? What you're looking to get depends on what capacities you have. So if you are an engineer or a retail salesperson or a doctor or a nurse and you've been fired, I am trying to understand why you're fired, and I have reason to believe that you have other skills to bring to bear. I'll be focusing on what are you good at? Why are we here? Because once you understand that, okay, I've been fired, what else do I have to resolve this? Because that strongly helps you, the individual, the client. I get the second part, the recovery, taking a look at the legal response. I mean, you and your team, you're experts in this, and this is an area where a lot of people don't have expertise. I like how you say it. It's not that big of effort for you and your team, but that's because this is what you do day in and day out. That's correct. But it's the third step. This is where I see leadership. This is where I see you taking a step forward from other legal professionals out there. You're giving ownership. You're empowering people. You're giving people a sense of control. There you go. I want to redo my kitchen. I'll just hire a guy and he'll redo my kitchen. Yeah, I've got no control. I've got no sense of ownership. Nope. You don't feel like the place is yours. You're just living in a house. And the same thing with legal matters, whether you're part of the armed forces or whether you are a private citizen who just happens to have a really significant issue in front of them, you're giving them that sense of ownership, accountability, and responsibility. Two points to add to what you're saying. Please, yeah. One, when somebody comes to you and say the plate is broken, part of that conversation, part of that position is that I am not in control. If you have the solution, you already have ownership of your solution. You're not going to be spending more time with me because most people will be like, oh, lawyer, oh, it's expensive. I'm not going to do that. So they come to me, really. When you're in my office, I know you don't have total control of what has happened. Of course, yeah. By the time I am done, I get to point number three. I want to empower you. I want you to get back your state in what ultimately is your matter. The number of times I've had people come to my office and just dump stuff in, in front of me. This is crazy. I just want you to help me out. I don't know what to do. And then they walk away. But you have to be an active participant in this journey, in this process. A smart person once said to me that sometimes people with issues act like getting on a bus. Get on the bus, they stop, they show their ticket, they pay their fare, and they sit at the back of the bus, they close their eyes, and they let the bus drive. Right. <laughs> and that's fine. In some cases, that's all you can do. When it comes to certain particular issues like legal services, like your life, like how things should be done, you owe it to yourself to be vigilant, to be active, and to ask the right question, and to have your eyes peeled. Like, you sit in that bus. You look out, you make sure the driver is bringing you to your destination because you may say you're going to Canada or Berlin and you end up in Gatno. And the only reason why you know you're in Gatno is because your eyes is open. My point is when you get served, when you go out to buy purchase services, you have a stake in. 
in our law firm, what we do is to make sure that we give you that ownership back. You have to take it back. It's not our solution. Our job is to assist our clients, but just remember, it's their file. It's their matter. Empowering people to be part of the solution that responds to their issue is absolutely critical. But, you know, sometimes people feel like, oh, but I don't want to, you know, he's the expert. Get out of their way. A good expert would want you to be in their way. Somebody who absolutely is committed to help giving you the results you're looking for would find a way constructively to have you have your participation in the process. Stay engaged, yeah. Let me just get philosophical here for a second. On this show, we have this perspective that leadership is not exclusive to the corner office. It's not just something that happens in big corporations around the world. Leadership is something that you find anywhere, that you find with a perspective and actions that people take. And here we are talking with you, Cash McKenna. We're talking about not the staff in your office and how you're leading them, but we're talking about how you are practicing leadership with your clients. One of the things that I see you doing is you're setting the stage so that other people can be successful. With the steps that you talked about, where they're at, what resources they still have, doing a little bit of that legal background and finding out what the response might be, and then giving them ownership. This is you setting the stage so that others can be successful. And I think the only way that that can happen is when the leader cares about their people. The, the most important thing about any leader is giving the people that you lead in the capacity, inspiring them to access their skill sets and your capacity to do the job. The challenge you have with that is that you are not using and accessing the complete fullness of the skill set that is within your team. They're only going to follow the things that you say without being able to absolutely rely and utilize their own experience. You can easily employ a number of robotic people or robotic automation. Artificial intelligence is right behind us in terms of uh, to trying to overtake humanity. And here's a good example of that. But my point is this. Ultimately, you want to inspire people to access their potential. So the way I lead is this. I find the things that I consider to be resources and capacities, and I look for the tools that would access and activate that. Then I step back. This is stepping back, again, is part of the giving ownership to people, right? When you have that opportunity to inspire people and to get them to access their asset, you do them no favors when you sit on top of them. I call that supervisors. Supervisors don't lead. That's a distinction between leadership and supervising. Leadership requires that you inspire people to do the things that they have capacity to do. Supervising is to say, I don't trust you. Or I'm not sure you're going to do the job as good as you. So I'm going to look over you and supervise you. Now, of course, supervising that goes with leadership. But here's the thing. The supervising only is a very interim pedestrian position that you take when you're handing over that capacity or that activated resource to your team. So for me, when I'm working with people, if I don't trust you to give you your space to do your job, then you can't work for me and I can't work with you. I can't supervise people. I'm a small team. <laughs> I mean, I'm a small boutique off. If I'm gonna have to walk behind everybody and ask, have you finished this draft? Did you do this research? For me, my style is to empower people, give them ownership of what we're doing. And when people feel, genuinely feel that they have ownership in what is going on, they 
deliver. They won't say, sir, the store is closed at five o'clock when it's 5.45, so uh, we are not going to be able to serve you. Sorry, I need to leave. But when they understand that part of the reason why they are being employed in this particular facility is because of those patrons and the clients that are coming in, even if it's quarter to five, they'll be standing down and say, look, we're going to close soon, but you're already here. Let me help you because I am committed to helping you. Now, I think you've kind of touched on this already, but you know I have these last two questions I love to ask people. The first one, Cash, is this. What challenges do you see facing a lot of the leaders out there today? The key one for me is a culture that tends to rely too much on strict structural procedures. And what do I mean by that? The reason why human beings are still needed for certain things is called the capacity to think and think outside the box. I completely understand structures and I believe in them. And I, as a former military officer, I worked with it worked fantastic all the time. But leaders have to allow people to think and also capitalize on their collective experience. If leaders don't let people who are working within their team and being led do their job and give them the flexibility to think, then we have a problem. And I know part of the reasons that they want to minimize it, there are a lot of people lead by minimizing risk. And that desire to always reduce the risk aversion. I mean, as a lawyer, I understand that. But here's the thing. You have to trust the people you, that should be led by you. You have to trust them. And you have to let them think, sometimes outside the box. My last question for you. <laughs> are you ready for this one? <laughs> What does inspired leadership mean to Major Cashmill McKenna? Inspired leadership means that we all access our full potential. Leadership, it's like an orchestra, a conductor. The conductor probably can play all the instruments, but he stands on the podium. He has his conducting stick and he leads. He leads and gets the best music out of a collective of people. An inspired leader is a conductor. And for me, I'll be happy and I'll be delighted to be led by somebody that can bring out the best symphony in me. And I hope that the people that I inspire can say the same thing about me being able to draw out the best, the very best. A good leader don't want, like, I'm the best of all my team. No. You want to say my team has the best individuals put together to make this beautiful music. Right. And that's it. I know people are going to want to connect with you, Cash. How are people going to find you out there? So we're at www.McKennaLaw. McKenna is M-C-K-O-E-N-A-L-A-W.com. Better yet, just type McKenna, M-C-K-O-E-N-A in Google. And I'm absolutely sure so far will be the first hit you get. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put all of that in the show notes as well so people can find that. Major Cashmill McKenna, thank you so much for being part of the Inspiring Leaders podcast, for sharing your perspectives on leadership, some of your experiences, especially from the discipline that you're in. I think it's valuable for all of us to hear that. That was excellent. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much, Terry. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm a big fan of what you're putting out. I am inspired when I get a chance to listen to some of uh, your valuable contribution to how we can get the best out of ourselves. Thank you for doing such a great job. I can't wait to have a chance to talk to you again.
Well, you know, Cash, if you like it so much, head on over to iTunes or wherever you listen to this and hit that rating button for us or some of those stars. I already did. You did. (laughs) Thank you. Listen, a quick thank you to our listeners as well. You guys leaving comments and ratings on iTunes, that's the fuel that keeps this podcast running. And the higher we rank, it allows us to get great guests like Major Cash McKenna. So keep those ratings and comments coming. We really do appreciate it. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. Take care, and we'll talk to you all again next time. 